Great to see you all. Next Sunday, next Sunday we have a guest speaker here by the name of Steve Petch, uh, who some of you might have seen online when we were doing church online um, a little while ago. He has some responsibility within our family of churches and some responsibility for this church. So uh, we are glad to have him here and we'll be live streaming him from here also to our Southbourne site. Now, Anybody enjoyed this stewardship series? Yeah, I was hoping someone would say yes. That's good news. I think it's been fab. It's been great to look at some really biblical material, but incredibly practical as well. We've been trying to get to grips with our God-given mandate to care for those things that he's given us responsibility for. And the Christian has more reasons than anyone else to be caring for what we believe God has given us. You see, there are humanitarian reasons. It's good to care for one another. It's good to care for stuff. It's good to look out for this and for that. There are future generation reasons. We want to leave the place in a better place for future generations. There are self-interest reasons. We've all got you know, interest for ourselves as to why we might look after our mind, our body, how we handle our work, rest, and so on. But the Christian, most importantly, has a God reason. God is the creator. He's the beginning of all things. He's the end of all things. He's the one who will be judge. And he is also with us in the middle of everything. The Christian has a multitude of reasons to say, God, help us steward well what you have given us to look after. So we've looked at work and rest, time, talents and treasure, mind and body, beginning of life, end of life. Last week, Andy here was looking at the earth. How do we steward the earth? And he mentioned this very famous verse from part of the Bible. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And today we're going to narrow in a little bit, if you like, and finish this series by looking at stewarding the climate. I'm going to read you a little bit from Genesis chapter 2 and then a passage from Romans chapter 8. There isn't a verse in the Bible that says, Dear everybody, here's what to do about the climate. But there are principles for us to apply. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, in the creation account, I know I'm diving right in here, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Much, much, much later in the Bible, in a book called Romans that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, again, I know I'm diving right in here, but we read these words. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It's like he's saying, all that we see around us is wonderful, it's magnificent, God made it, but there's something about it, it's like it's waiting for something more. We know, he says, that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth. 
right up to the present time. Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Question. How old would you say the earth is? There's a whole range of Christian views on that, a whole range of all sorts of views. Old earth creationists would say, well, it's about four and a half billion years old, as others would say. Young earth creationists would say the earth is as young as 6,000 years. Bishop Usher, in the 17th century, calculated all the ages in Genesis and worked his way backwards and said, well, according to all those datings and years that people lived, the earth must have been created in 4004 BC. It's a whole range of opinions. And here's another question. How did God create the earth and the world and everything that there is? And again, you've got a huge range of views. Some would say that God did it from their reading of Genesis chapter 1, that God did it in six 24-hour days consecutively. Like Monday he did this, then Tuesday day two, then Wednesday day three, and so on. Others would take a very different view and say that God created over periods of time. Those aren't meant to be days, they're periods of time. And others would even say that God used evolution to bring about creation. It's called theistic Evolution. Now, some of all of that depends, and I'm not trying to give you my view today. It's not my point today. Some of that depends on how you read Genesis 1 and 2. It's a particularly distinct type of literature. There's all sorts of debates. Anyway, whichever view you take, wherever you land on all of that, the earth has been around a long enough time to pass through times of climate change or variation. In the last thousand years, for example... In the Northern Hemisphere, there was a medieval warm period, that's what it was called, followed by the Little Ice Age, when the River Thames would freeze over and people would skate on it. So it's true, definitely true, that variations, that conditions, sorry, it's definitely true that conditions on Earth have never been entirely predictable or entirely consistent. Climate variation is a fact of history. We've always had drought. We've always had failed harvests and floods and other weather events. They're often called extreme weather events. You could say that the earth is groaning, which is what we read, Romans 8.22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I I would not pretend to know what childbirth means there. Well, I know what it means. What I mean is I have no concept of what it must be like. It's lovely and easy, apparently. Uh, But I've been at three of them, and they were interesting events. But within certain bounds... I would say that God has established the world to continue in a relatively stable state until Jesus returns and renews the heavens and the earth. After the flood, Genesis 8 records this. God says, never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done in the flood. As long as the earth endures, 
Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So after looking more generally at stewarding the earth last week, what are we to make of climate change in our day? It is certainly a big topic. And the younger people are, it seems to me, the bigger the topic is. It's a huge issue for the younger folk of our day especially. Well, the first thing to say is this. The first thing to acknowledge is this, that while most people believe that climate change is real, is current, and is the result of mankind's misuse of the Earth's resources, there are many who do not believe that. And it needs acknowledging. The BBC had, a, had an article a couple of weeks ago. There had been a big survey across Europe. They'd taken the respondents from the UK. And the thing said this, one in six adults, one in six adults in the UK does not believe that climate change is mainly caused by human activities. It is a very questioned matter. And they would hold that current changes that we're seeing, they wouldn't deny that necessarily, but current changes in the climate that we're seeing around the world are part of natural cycles, like I mentioned with the Middle Ages and the ice after that. That levels of CO2 in the atmosphere are not a danger. In fact, CO2 in the atmosphere is 0.04% of the atmosphere. And that even if changes are a global, even if there are changes in global temperature, and even if they are a concern, that they are caused by solar changes or natural variations. And Christians, of course, there are many Christians holding that view. In fact, in the US, I read this, over a third of evangelical Christians say there is, quote, no solid evidence that climate change is happening. Some of you will agree with that, and others of you will be utterly shocked. In addition, some would encourage us to trust God. He made it, he'll look after it. He built into creation its own ability to adapt over time. Well, my encouragement is for you to do your own research and your own reading, genuinely. What I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to follow the scientific and the Christian consensus that says that climate change is a present, growing, and man-made threat to the earth. I don't want to induce panic, but I think that is a reasonable statement. For example, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change said last year it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean, and land. What is climate change? You might say that's pretty obvious. But let's ask the question, what is climate change? The UN says this, climate change refers to long-term shifts in temperatures and weather patterns. Climate change isn't, oh, it's really hot out there today, that's climate change. No, we're talking about long-term shifts in temperatures and weather patterns. NASA describes global warming as the long-term, again, long-term heating of the Earth's climate system. And they are talking about a pretty comprehensive warming. A warming of the atmosphere. The term, the greenhouse effect, 
is related to that. The NOAA, which I won't even tell you because it's a boring title of another committee, but the NOAA, who are a global body, said the Earth's atmosphere now traps twice as much heat as it did in 2005. Warming of the atmosphere, warming of the oceans, you'll have heard of as well. They're warming, they're rising, struggling from acidification, oxygen loss. One scientist said this, two-thirds of the world's cities, which will encompass an enormous population, many in developing countries, lie within a meter of sea level. No wonder people there are concerned. Warming of the atmosphere, warming of the oceans, and warming of the land. It's very comprehensive. The NOAA again said in the 21st century, average yearly temperature on Earth has been two degrees Fahrenheit, or approximately one degree centigrade, higher than recorded pre-industrial temperatures. And it doesn't sound very much. You might say, I quite like a warmer summer. That's not really the point. Because the combined effect on different factors at play here means that you have a huge cumulative effect. There are more extreme weather events these days. Hurricanes, flooding, wildfires, and so on. Increased drought and crop failures, migration of people and animal loss of species. We could say that the climate is groaning. You could say that the climate is creaking. It's objecting to the strains put on it. The word, in fact, it's an interesting word, that word. That word translated groaning is a plural. It means groaning together. It's almost like the various parts of creation of the earth, of the climate, and so on, are together groaning about what is happening under the strain that mankind has brought upon the earth and the climate. And here's a crucial thing, that it might be easy for us here to miss. That as with many global issues, climate change disproportionately affects the world's poorest and most vulnerable. In terms of stewarding and loving those who are less fortunate, that is a huge consideration. What is causing climate change? Again, you might say, silly question, let's ask it. Such is the amazing, I don't know what you think about this, but I think it's utterly remarkable. Have you, ever, have you ever read one of those articles that tells you all the physical things in the universe that needed to be exactly as they are in order for life to exist on Earth? It's an utterly remarkable list if you, when you see it. Such is the amazing way that God has designed our world, that all sorts of climate factors are held in balance at the same time. Things like how far we need to be from the sun. It's either an utterly remarkable fluke, or there's a wise creator who placed us just right. The moon, the fact that the seas don't grow stagnant because there are tides from the moon, the mix of gases in the atmosphere so we can breathe the angle of the earth just right so that the year divides into season, the days, the nights, the trees, the oceans, all of these factors remarkably working together and interconnected to ensure that the climate works. And those factors, you see, are completely connected. 
You cannot say, well, let's just deal with that. No, it has a knock-on to that. It's a bit like there are four people who live in my house. We are not, we are separate individuals, but we are hugely connected. And what someone does or doesn't do affects the other. That's how it is with these climate factors. Now, you might say, and you could say, it's perhaps inevitable that given that we were to fill the earth and subdue it and work it and take care of it in Genesis 1 and 2, some changes were bound to happen to the earth and its climate. I think that's not unreasonable, but the claim now, as you well know, is of fundamental change and threat, particularly in the more vulnerable parts of the world. The vast weight of evidence, as you will have heard, is that while natural variations may well be a factor, it is humans who have caused CO2 and other pollutants to accelerate to dangerous levels. Although only 0.04%, that's a significantly different mark than it was not that long ago, such that the earth, the atmosphere, and the seas are warming at a dangerous rate. That's largely due to green gas, greenhouse gas emissions, such as carbon dioxide and methane and ozone and nitrous oxide and chlorofluorocarbons. Greenhouse gases are, generally, are primarily generated, as you know, from burning fossil fuels which humankind has done through century, well, through a, a fairly good chunk of time without necessarily realizing the impacts that would be had. That is now being found out, of course. Burning fossil fuels to generate power for agriculture, food production, manufacturing, construction, travel, transportation, plus huge deforestation has meant that lots of carbon gets released as trees are chopped down and there are fewer trees to absorb the carbon dioxide. Hence, a lot of tree plants is going on. So, what about our responsibility to steward the climate? I would say that we do have a responsibility. The mandate given to humankind was to look after what God had created. We are tenants caring for what the landlord Owns. My intention here is not at all to promote panic, but to encourage your own research and then your own considered and faith-filled action as we work it and take care of it. Before I mention a couple of thoughts, we as a church have tried to take some steps, baby steps, but we've tried to take some steps. Some things we've done so far as a church here is to reduce plastic. You'll have heard that single-use plastics especially are a no-no. There are no more communion cups, no plastic communion cups, no, wa no water bottles in the welcome bags. If you are brand new this morning and you got a welcome bag, about a year ago you would have had a water bottle, and this morning you could have used it, I'm sure. No more plastic water bottles. No laminating is allowed, one of Ed's pet hates. Branded pens and other items, uh, we try and make sure they're made from sustainable and biodegradable materials where possible. Milk is now sourced from a farm in Blandford using uh, reusable tubs rather than four pinters. Zero to landfill on Sundays. I think we've managed to get to that point, which is absolutely terrific. Citygate branded reusable cups are on offer 
for a mere five pounds. Anyone got one? I should have brought mine up. No one's bought one yet. My goodness, there's one. Like that, in white, thank you, in white or black. They're rather nice and uh, will save you from getting a new cup every time you're in here. You can get them at the back. Our catering lead, Rosie Millard, the wonderful Rosie Millard, is championing, and boy does she champion, the use of more sustainable food sources, reducing waste, reusing leftovers, which doesn't sound quite so nice, but anyway, and composting with, with a local project. Our, we've got some CityGate targets that we're trying to go for, trying to work out how much energy supply comes from renewables into this building. When sourcing equipment and stock, the team here are encouraged and reminded to look out for opportunities to buy more sustainably. We're researching banking providers for more ethical options. And our Southbourne building, you can't just build a building these days. When we do a reconstruction there, it goes through an environmental filter. And we're trying to make sure that the impact, our footprint, is as low as possible. But what about you and I personally? Let me say this, we can all do something. Please don't be that person who says, well, what's the point? No one else is bothering. China's emitting all this and that and the other. Please don't be like that. No, we all can do something and all have a responsibility before God for our actions. I would say it might at times be a little more expensive, which is an issue at the minute. It might at times be a little less convenient. We can all take some action. Andy and Rosie Millard are a great example. This whole area is it's huge, it's vast, and it's almost overwhelming when you really begin to explore it because there's just so much, pretty much every aspect of our daily life has, is impacted by this. Um, so yeah, it, it's sort of like you look at all areas, so you can look at packaging, you can look at food, you can look at clothing, you can look at energy use in all sorts of ways. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just about not looking at it as a whole package, but looking at it as a tiny little bit and then growing from there, really, because otherwise it can just be too big to even begin. So when we buy our food, do we buy more seasonal products? Yeah. Um, I don't I, need to eat tomatoes and cucumbers in December. You, you, you know, you, you've only got to look at the packaging that they've got and you see where it's come from. Do I really need, you know, something that's come from South America because I quite fancy a, a cucumber? It's like, that's not realistic. Likewise, if you do buy in season, it's quite often a lot cheaper. And just buying loose where possible. So for us, for our kids, now if they come and help shop, they will, they will go and do the weighing. It's kind of fun and make it a thing yeah. for them. Um, with any sort of animal products, we try and look at um, where it's come from and how it's been bred, whether it's been farmed or taken care of, how it's been farmed or sustainably sourced, um, and how well it's been taken care of. With meat, I very, very rarely buy full-price meat. I will always look for yellow stickers, and in looking for yellow stickers, quite often I'm able to buy organic free-range stuff. It's a huge issue, plastics, uh, and it goes um, throughout everything pretty much that we buy. We don't use plastic dishcloths anymore, so we use um, coconut mm. products, loofah-type products, sort of shampoos, soaps and things like that. We've, we've switched to either refillable or we actually use bars rather than 
um, things that you buy in plastic. I, I didn't really want to become a Christian <laughs> or held off becoming a Christian because I, I, I knew what was coming and it was going to be change. And it's like, well, I'm all right at the moment. I don't want change. Um, and obviously then one, when you do become a Christian, you realize all the changes could change. But at the time, it's like, I don't want to lose this. I don't, I'm quite happy with this. I'm quite happy with that. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, so my testimony was, was literally holding back as long as I possibly could, um, which is a bizarre thing to say, but it was true. Um, and it's the same with this. It's like, you've, you, you know you've got to do something and, other, and and once you start that journey things become uncomfortable it's like I, I can't buy that I won't yeah. do that I'm not gonna contribute to that it's that's all wrong um, and they're the things that are highlighted um, and it's it's a similar journey and obviously you go further down the journey you more things are highlighted to you um, but it's all good mm-hmm. uh, You, you probably spotted Andy's little solar power pack there. That interview was run on solar power um, through his clever pack. Andy and Rosie are very happy to have a chat with anyone here who knows them to just get some tips or whatever. Let me make three concluding points. I've had various conversations with people, a whole range of conversations with people. For me, I've concluded these three main things which I offer to you. The first is this, that I need to improve my understanding. I'm not a young person, though that may be a shock to you. I'm not a young person. I haven't been raised in a generation and a mindset that automatically has concerns about these matters. And I could be very lazy. I like life to be convenient. I have an expectation of all sorts of things. I have an expectation of cucumbers or whatever he said in December. I could be very lazy, but I feel like before God, as a steward of what he's given me, wherever I end up, I have a responsibility to educate myself about the issue of climate change, about options, about the complexities of it. For example, I listened to what I believe was an unbiased and very reputable podcast discussing is it better to get, a, uh, to get an electric car or not. It was really helpful. Here's what I heard from what was said. If you've got a good working car, don't just throw it away and get an electric car because then you're generating more stuff that's been produced, if you see what I'm saying. If you're about to change your car because you need to change your car or when you need to, absolutely, you should absolutely consider getting an electric car. That was the view there. That was really helpful. I would not have clocked that otherwise. I need to improve my understanding. Secondly, here's a thought. Recycling is great, but it's still an energy-intensive and imperfect activity. See, here's, here's what goes on in my head. I know this has gone on in my head. It's fine, I'm recycling everything I can think I can. It's obviously going away and being reproduced as some good material. Apparently that's not, it's not quite as simple as that. Lots of that stuff doesn't get recycled. I can't use recycling as an excuse for I can just use whatever I want to use. Don't worry, it gets recycled. I've got to think a bit more than that. Recycling is great. Keep recycling. 
But don't be fooled that it's an easy solution. And here's my third point, which I am finding helpful. And I know was true for Rosie when I had a long conversation with her. Making one small change leads to another. You can't suddenly jump from zero to hero. That's highly unlikely. It's too daunting. What you can do, what I can do, is think, now, Lord, what should I do? Well, there's one little thing I can do. And doing one little thing makes me a bit more sensitive to other things, and I'll do another thing. And I'll take another step and another step. One small step at a time leads to another. I personally am trying to have a bit of a war on single-use plastics because I think they stink. I want to do my little bit. And my little bit will influence others around me and my children and so on. Folks, we can all do something. We can all make a change, a small change, and see where it leads. Here's what we're going to do to wrap up. I'm going to give you about 90 seconds, 60, 90 seconds of quiet. Simple as that. I'm going to ask you a question. What's your change? What's your change? Maybe you've made loads of changes. Okay, what's the next step? that you would feel before God it would be right to take as a steward. You may not have thought about this at all. What might be your one change? And I'm not trying to batter you overhead with this. I'm just saying, folks, we're stewards. What can we do? For our good, for others' good, for those in deprived parts of the world, and also before God. Let's start. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Maybe it helps you to close your eyes. If it does, feel free. And just think, what's your change. Okay, let's stand together, if you're able to. I'm going to pray. Hope you've made a decision, got a point of change. Lord, we thank you that you are a wonderful creator. We thank you that you are a wonderful sustainer. We thank you, Lord, you are going to recreate everything in the new heavens on the new earth. We're groaning Creation groans and we groan for that day to come when you put everything right in your perfect presence. And Lord, as we wait for that day, we want to anticipate that day and do all that we can, Lord, to steward well. I pray, Lord, for anybody here who is fearful about the future. I say, Lord, will that please be banished under the powerful love and care of God. But Lord, we pray, keep us from complacency. Help us to work it and take care of it appropriately. Not in fear, 
but in faith. We ask it all in your powerful name for your glory and for the good of those around us as we steward what you have given us to care for. Amen.